from American Salon Magazine and .com. This is American Salon Stories, a weekly podcast featuring some of the most interesting people we know. As was every one of our podcast guests, I'm I'm really excited to have um, this guy with us today. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. So, so uh, again, most excited. Our, our guest is a celebrity stylist, a men's groomer, educator, and artist. He's a passionate professional, a fiance, a father, and a humanitarian. And um, let me uh, share this quote from People Magazine's website uh, to kind of uh, set the stage here. In many ways, Mark Bustos is like a lot of New York City stylists. He's tattooed and fashionable and works six days a week. It's what Mark does on his days off though that set him apart from the rest since may 2012 bustos has spent his sundays approaching the homeless and needy in jamaica costa rica and new york city with one phrase quote i want to do something nice for you today unquote and the huffington post says bustos work enables people to envision a better life for themselves um we'll say hashtag be awesome to somebody mark bustos um coming all the way from nicaragua by way of skype welcome to the american salon stories podcast thank you so much all for having me it still blows my mind that anyone cares to hear what i have to say but i'm very appreciative to to be honest with you right now well thanks for being here and 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 let me say that um people do want to hear what you say and i've seen you on stages all across the industry i've seen you online I, I think people, um, consumers, but especially uh, stylists, have a great interest in, in what you're doing, in part because I think you show them the potential of what they can do beyond the basic work that they do every day behind the chair and the impact that, that they can have, that you can have, that they can have on people's lives. It's, it's inspiring and it's, it's quite profound. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, I, I want to get started by, we, we have so much to talk about and we don't have a whole lot of time, but um, um, let me start by asking you to share with our audience um, just your version, the short version of, of who is Mark Bustos, um, what do you do every day, and uh, today being Sunday, um, share with our audience what a typical Sunday looks like for Mark. Um, so basically, I was born in Manhattan, raised in Nutley, New Jersey, which is just about um, 10 miles west of Manhattan. Um, I grew up in a middle-class family, very normal life. Um, uh, My parents grew up in the Philippines, so I wasn't really uh, given all these luxuries that a lot of other kids were given at that uh, at the time I was young. But um, just made me, growing up, just really made me appreciate everything I really did have. But basically, I'm I'm a hairstylist, and I've been doing hair since I was 14 years old out of my parents' garage. Uh, I've never had another job in my life that had to do with hair or uh, in other words i've never made a penny in my life that hasn't had to do with hair so i really love what i do and i don't look at it as a as a job and you you um you somehow found your way into specializing in men's grooming i I think that's i don't know if that's all the work you do but certainly that's how you're known um how did you kind of find your way there was that something that happened early on or what was the story behind that um you know so i what i like to say i specialize in is hair cutting um as we all know that no matter what shape, technique, and dynamics is the exact same thing, whether it's short hair or long hair, whether it's men's hair or women's hair. Um, I feel like I've just been able to build a really large male clientele uh, solely for the fact that I do men's hair pretty well. Um, and I wouldn't say that others do women's hair better than I do. I just think I do men's hair better than others. So naturally, I just got a lot more men sitting in my chair, which it doesn't matter to me in, in a professional setting because... I charge the same amount of money, men or women. I charge for my time. So as long as I'm I'm busy, I'm happy. And that's that's all. So how did you kind of find your way into the um, the celebrity lane? Because I think it's you know I I mentioned to you earlier. I, I saw one of your Instagram posts. You were getting you were hopping on a on a helicopter, and so you've got like that kind of uh, I don't know dream uh, part of a job for many hairstylists. And and at the same time, you found your way into the almost the polar opposite, which is working with those who have less, the disadvantaged, the homeless. And so first and foremost, how did you find your way to celebrity hairstyling, haircutting? And then how did this other important part of your life develop? 
Um, so I found my way to, to very high end clientele between um, very financially rich people and celebrities just by um, pure hard work. I mean, I've been doing hair for 19 years now. I'm 33 years old. I started when I was 14, but I count every single year because the very first couple haircuts definitely count because, uh, you know, you learn everything through trial and error. And I did not give good haircuts in the very beginning. But, um, you know, just working my way up in the hair industry, um, uh, putting my time in as an assistant, only being allowed to shampoo and pull the hair out of color wheels and, um, you know, continuously pushing myself and, and being more comfortable in second place than first place. Meaning I, I always... I never wanted to be the best in any particular situation because at that point, there's just no more room to grow. Uh, so I always looked at that as an opportunity to just move on and move on to the next uh, best thing. And uh, I never really hold, held a job at a hair salon for more than two years uh, because whenever I felt like I was the best, I would keep moving. And people think I'm crazy when I say I like to be in second place. But truth is, that that's the only way to really grow because you need to always have someone to chase and someone to learn from. And so... You know, I kept working and working, and eventually I got to this hair salon in New York City where I was able to charge top dollar. For me, it's top dollar. I always wished I could, uh, at the time, charge 150 bucks for a haircut, men or women or children. And, um, you know, I got to that point where I, I can charge a good amount of money for a haircut. And then I realized, like, what's next? Like, I still don't feel successful. This is what I thought success was. And then um, it wasn't until I didn't find success until I, I stopped looking for it, really. And it's just one of those things where where you tell yourself, I didn't get this far just to come this far. Um, that's when I stopped looking for success because I didn't know where else to go from there. I kind of hit a plateau. And um, and that's when I started getting back back in, in 2012. And um, and that's where I've been able to find my success. It, it was, it's, it's been a, a pretty incredible journey. And uh, I just really look forward to the years to come. So you stopped chasing success at the age of, 28 or 29. <laughs> I love, yeah, I, pretty I, much 28. Yeah. That, that's, um, that's interesting on many levels. You know, it's, it's, it's um, you know, first of all, kudos for you to, to get as far as you got so quickly. But as you said, you started at 14. So it was a fairly long journey. But I think, you know, there, there's a lot of wisdom, you know, in that shift you made in your head. Because I, I, I think, as you said, it kind of opened so much up for you. And so, how today compared to where you were, you know, coming up to that age, like what's the twist in your brain in terms of the definition of, of success for you today? Um, success isn't measured by the number of your dollar. Um, success is measured by, at this point in my life, I realized success is measured by the amount of people that you're able to inspire. And, and that's what I strive to do nowadays is just continue to continue to inspire others and, and help other people's grow because in that, then you'll grow yourself. And that's, that's just what I've learned throughout these years. So a big part of, of inspiring others, I would say today, I, I kind of see two forks in the road for you. And I'm not sure which one exactly came first, but I first became aware of you probably, I don't know if it was the New York Times or Huffington Post. I'm not sure what came fat first, but I remember just all of a sudden this guy popping up on my computer named Mark. And um, I think a lot of people found you by way of the media, the traditional media, and people in our industry who went, wow, what, what, what's happening here? And, um, and it was truly inspiring. Um, the more that you know, information came out about you, um, I think from there, and I'm not sure again of the chronology for you, but then soon after that, I started to see you at events. You then kind of, I'm not sure if you transitioned into into educating people or you were already doing that. But again, I, I see these two paths where you're inspiring hairdressers first and foremost about the good work that you can do through your career and how you can touch people outside of the salon. And then secondly, how you're inspiring people to just do better work, be better at their craft. I mean, maybe talk about the education first, and then I want to take a much deeper dive into the humanitarian work you do. Yeah. So, um, you know, I've I before any of the media hit, uh, well, by the way, with the whole story with the media, um, you know, like I said, I, I put in a lot of time and effort into into being the best stylist that I could possibly be and, possibly be. and when I got to that point where I was working in a high-end salon, that's when I was able to put myself in this position where I had people working for the Huffington Post and people that worked for CNN and, and, and just getting these high-end kind of clientele to to not even hear me out because it was just, it just came naturally. Like I had someone from, from CNN just say, Hey, so Mark, what do you like to do on, on the weekends? And I'm like, well, do you really want to know what I do? 
um, because I've been doing this for a little while now and I just don't really tell anyone. I don't even tell my parents, but yeah, I'll share with you a little bit of what I have, what I do. And um, before I knew it, I got an email from my client with a couple questions um, saying, hey, can you just answer these questions for me? And I literally answered these questions like in between clients in like two minutes because I didn't think anything of it. And then all of a sudden it just like blew up. I was like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, so that, that's how that all started with the, with the media. Yeah, it was pretty, it kind of just came out of nowhere. But, uh, but with education, I was, I was educating before the media or anything hit, um, just on a very, very small scale doing like local hair salons and local barbershops and things of that sort. And um, what I realized is throughout all the charity work that I've done, I've had a lot of people that I've been able to inspire, which was the whole point. Um, and it, it was great to get received messages from from young hairstylists or young people people saying, you've inspired me to want to go to hair school. Um, I'm going to go to hair school. And as soon as I graduate, I'm going to go out on the street and cut hair. And and then instantly, right away, I'm just like, no, no, don't do that. Because a haircut can make or break an individual. Uh, you got to get a good haircut. You feel better about yourself. And that's our job is to make people feel better about themselves. But if you get a bad haircut, you're going to feel worse than you already did. And so at that point, I realized if I'm going to tell people that they need to educate themselves first, then let me educate <laughs> on a larger scale and, and show people uh, and kind of just be a leader and, and lead the way. And so that's how I really got into more um, education on a larger scale. So I, I really like what you just said, and I don't think it gets said often enough. You know, we, we always hear about the power of the hairdresser, you know, to inspire people, to make them feel great about themselves. But we don't really talk that much about how we can screw somebody's head up a little bit, their self-esteem up with a bad haircut. And I, I love that you said that. And I, I kind of want to spend a minute on it because um, it doesn't get talked about. So talk about it. Talk about what can go wrong and and. And why should we think about that in this in this craft? Well, it's super important. Education is really important. I mean, for all these people that sit through education classes, which is amazing, for all those people that do it, one, you want the reason we're doing it is because we want to be we want to become more successful. We want to elevate our own craft and become better hairdressers and, and better at everything we do. But on the other end of it, the whole reason we're educating ourselves is because we want to make our clients happier than we, we were able to make them by educating ourselves. If you really think about it that way. And I think a lot of times we forget that. Yeah, it's just so important that we just continue to do so and just keep elevating our craft. And what's interesting, you know, again, you've got some some fairly prominent clients and I watched some of them on, on Instagram. And after those services, even with people who, you know, have fame and fortune, it's the fact that they will take the time to just to do a shout out or to do a mention of how you made them feel or how lucky they feel that you're doing their hair. I mean, that speaks volumes um, about the meaning behind the work that gets done in this industry. Yeah. I mean, what I've learned is no matter who it is, whether you're worth $30 billion or you have like a negative bank account, the feeling that somebody gets when they get up out of the chair is, is it's a universal feeling of self-confidence and, and dignity if it's ever been lost. And it's just, it's just a matter of like, yeah, I mean, exactly what we do is just make people happy. And that's literally the bottom line. Um, and, and that's why people, there, there are hair salons and hairstylists for, for every single client out there. I mean, there's how many billion or trillion, how, I don't even know how many people are out in this world and how many, how many hairstylists are out there. And, you know, there's hair salons that charge a tiny bit amount of money and, and you do get what you pay for, right? So people, are willing to spend money if, if they can get a better service to feel even better about themselves. Like I, I know that I'm not going to go to a, a super cheap place with minimal education to get my hair done because I know that I'm going to walk out not feeling the best about myself, you know? So people do want to spend money to, to have that feeling. Um, and I was talking to, to his name is Kelly, Kelly Gorsuch. He owns a mortable love salon in, in Washington, DC. And he told me something just recently that really stuck in my head. And he said, people want to feel a little bit uncomfortable when they're paying for something, because if they are, that means it's something worth, worth, worth value to them. Um, if you don't feel comfortable about, I mean, if, if you're not uncomfortable when you pay for something, then you're more likely to just forget about it or throw it to the side and, and just not treat it, treat it in the best way possible. But, but yeah, that that just stuck with me, and it really made a lot of sense. Yeah, it's, it's it is in, it's an interesting idea. Uh, I love that. Um, so 
all that you just said, you know, about the feeling that people have about about coming into the salon, you know, you must have had some kind of aha moment where you decided to take that feeling and give it to people who weren't in a position in their lives to get it, to go, you know, those who were homeless, those who were disadvantaged. How did that even come about? What like what was that moment where you decided to actually go do that? Yeah, so I was actually on a family vacation in the Philippines and um you know, this was back in 2012. And I realized that, you know, there's so much poverty out there. And I've, I've at that point become um, somewhat successful in what I do. And I have this gift that I could share and, and just walking around seeing homeless children living all over the streets just really struck me. So we were in the province that my family's from and my girlfriend's family is actually from the same province. Her father that just recently passed away used to go to this little barber shop to regularly get his hair cut. Um, so we thought it would be such a great idea to just go into the shop and rent a chair and, um, and invite the street kids to come in for their haircuts. So I can just give free haircuts all day. Um, it wasn't an idea or anything. It, it was just one of those things like this is, this is what I should do because I can. So I did it. And it was, I remember clearly it was the first boy he had the exact same name as me, um, Mark Anthony. And he sat in the chair, had no shoes on and had just like beat up feet, calloused feet, really dirty. And his head was like, his, his head was looking down the whole time. So his like chin was just pinned to his chest, the entire haircut. And throughout the haircut, he didn't say a word, didn't look up and was just very shy. Uh, we were trying to crack jokes and everybody in, in the, in the shop. But at the end of the, at the end of the service, um, someone from, from the street, was looking into the shop because mind you, it was, a, it was just like a, a four chair barber shop, a hundred degrees, hundred percent humidity garage door that opens up just, just, just like, you know, a typical street side barbershop in a third world country. And, um, so this man standing out on the streets looking in and he's like, Hey, now you look like from, you're from New York city. And the kid just cracked like the biggest smile. And I was like, wow, like that was awesome. And then from that moment on, I, I just realized that I can take this anywhere I go. Um, you know, all I really need is my my shoes and my passion, and, and I can make things happen. And that's when I took it back to New York City and just uh, and just went from there. Now, somewhere in the, in the early stages of that, I think you know, social media was blowing up, and so and it, from what I've heard you speak about before, you know, this I think was a very personal thing. You were not looking for fame, uh, you weren't looking for press. Um, it was just something that you chose to do on your day off. And, um, but then again, social media kind of was blowing up big. And I think, you know, between media covering you um, and then the transformation of social and how fast stuff was flying around, suddenly you're in the public eye, you're in the industry eye. And you, I'm assuming, are starting to hear from a lot of people, not just media people like myself, but but hairdressers from all over the country. What what was that like? Yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. I mean, I like you said, like I, I wasn't looking for any fame or anything. I was doing, I was out on the streets giving haircuts every single Sunday, and nobody really knew. Um, I didn't really share it with anybody. It's just kind of what I did on my one day off on Sundays. And- I didn't even tell my parents what I did and, you know, they would, they would get upset at me because I would miss Sunday dinners with the family sometimes. Cause I didn't want to tell my parents at first. Cause I was kind of nervous that, you know, like any parent would be worried for their kids. And I didn't want them telling me that I was, I was putting myself in danger because I knew I wasn't, you know, I had a photographer that would come out on the street with me just to document everything. And at, at one point I had like already like thousands of photos from my photographer. And, um, there was this one photograph that really stood out to me. You know, the reason why I was out on the streets was so that I can inspire other people walking by to be able to do whatever they could do to to help others out. You know, I had a lot of photographs with people kind of just like breaking their necks and just like frozen in time, just staring at what I'm doing. And one photograph had a bunch of people doing that, but there was one young woman on looking down at her phone, walking right by. And I was like, she didn't even look up. And, and then my whole point was to inspire everybody walking by, but how do I find her? And, and I was like, I, I bet she's on social media. <laughs> And, and, and it's the truth. And that's when, that's when I started, that's when I created the hashtag called be awesome to somebody. And I was looking for a hashtag with zero posts on it, which is kind of difficult to do nowadays, but I found it and it had zero posts. And it just, I had like 30, 31 photographs, I think, to be exact on that before it really blew up before the, the press um, found out about it. And yeah, so I, I, I'm pretty sure she's seen herself on social media. <laughs> in that photograph. 
Probably. I hope she. I hope she asked. Probably <laughs> feeling guilty. Ho- ho- hopefully, she now is p- being a little bit more present as, as she walks through the street streets of New York. Yeah, and it's kind of it's kind of like uh, it's it's kind of weird, and because I'm trying to inspire people to 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 be more present through social media, but <laughs> yeah, it works. <laughs> and and now I I know that when you do educational events, you will often um, take the day before, or take the day after, and you'll you'll have people join you from the event um, who've become aware of what you're up to and you'll go visit a shelter or you'll go, you'll go somewhere and do some good work. Um, talk, talk a little bit about that. And uh, I know you've got some things coming up and, and perhaps you're going to be doing something at those events. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, at, at a certain point I realized that when, when you're given a, a large platform, um, it's up to the individual on that platform to do what they want to do with it. And it's our responsibility, I believe, to, to do something good and to do something very powerful. So if I have this, this platform to be able to do good in, in front of thousands of people at a time, then I'm going to try to grab other people also on that platform to do good, to inspire even more people, to show that just because you've made it to a certain level, it doesn't mean that, that you have to live in this egotistical world. And, you know, hairstyling and barbering, unfortunately, has become an ego-driven industry, which I'm really trying to break. And I just want people to realize that, like, again, the bottom line of what we do is to make people happy. We all grow hair and lose hair the exact same way, no matter who you are. So if I can just inspire people to just realize that and, and make anybody happy um, and, and just help anybody out, then I think uh, we can all make this world a little bit better of a place together. And again, you've inspired other people to do it. I, I, I know you were in India not too long ago. If I remember right, I, I think your friend Manny um, actually organized that trip. Um, correct me if I'm saying that wrong. And I know there were a bunch of others that, that joined you. Am I saying that right, first of all? Yeah, exactly. So there's uh, uh, my best friend, Manny, um, who's also an amazing hairdresser. He's an educator for, uh, at the moment, he's with V76 travels a globe educating for them and uh, another girl named Kristen uh, both put their minds together and um, and created this um, this organization called walk the walk community and it's been amazing because the whole point of why I started doing what I've done is because I wanted to inspire other people including my best friend you know and it's amazing because I get a lot of people that are just like oh Mark how do I join you where are you going to be I want to come out with you and personally my answer is I don't need your help um, people out there need your help and no matter where you are, there are people, unfortunately, that do need help. So if you want to go out and create your own group and create create your own communities of like groups of hairdressers going out here or there, then awesome. Like I'm all for it. I, I 110% support it because that's the whole point of what we do. But, um, you know, I've just been given this lane to I just want to kind of stay in my lane and just continue and inspire people and just show that you don't need other people to help you in order to make big difference. So, yeah, I mean, I've inspired people all around the world to do the same um, between London, Australia. And I get messages from all different, literally every corner of the earth from people saying, thank you so much for the inspiration and show me a media piece that they've had um, in their local, wherever they've been, um, saying thank you for the inspiration. I've changed their lives. And that's that's a whole point of why I do what I do, because I can't do it alone. We all have to do it together. It's going to continue to do the same and just and. It, you know, you don't want to, if it's not broken, just why fix it, right? Well, and, and, and from a from an activist point of view, and I, uh, on a more personal level, I've been involved in different things, and, and you're really acting like a true activist, you know, which is preparing people to go out there and, and do what you're doing, but to do it on their own, to do it in other places. And so, if, if you were going to give a listener some advice on how perhaps they can accomplish some of the same work locally, like, what, what would you say to somebody? Like, like, how does someone go about doing this if they don't know how? How do you find the right area to go to, the right people to approach? Are there any things that they have to be concerned about, both technically and for safety reasons? Just give us some thoughts on that activist going local on their own and doing some good work. Yeah, so I completely understand if people will be a little nervous. And I don't always suggest just going out on the streets because, yeah, it could be a little bit dangerous. Um, but with that being said, I've out of the years I've been doing this, out of the, I don't even know how many people I've helped on the streets, not once have I ever felt like I was in danger. I was in danger. And the, the, the reason for that is because when, 
when you approach someone with genuine compassion, people can read that type of energy instantly. Um, so if you're genuine, then there, you know, no one's going to really push you away, especially if you're going to, if you're going to offer them like a haircut, <laughs> because now you've like the people that you thought were your enemies are now uh, your friends and now they're on your side. And, you know, a really good example of it is I was in Chelsea Park in New York City and I approached like, there's like 12 guys with their hoods up, like sitting in like a circle, like in on these park benches. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I doing? And I approached him, I was like, hey, what's up guys? And I, I long story short, I, I, I told him what I was doing and I was now, I felt protected by them. Um, one guy that I was cutting, he's, he just got out of uh, prison after, um, he, he just got out of prison two weeks ago and he was in prison for 28 years for killing his sister's husband. And I'm just like, well, <laughs> I'm in the middle of this park right now, but I feel protected by this guy. But yeah. And, and with that being said, like going out individually versus going out with groups, um, I feel that going out individually is just less threatening. Um, that's one of the main reasons I don't go out with groups is because, you know, like, one, like people in the in the public eye, which is kind of just like may not really know your true intentions of what you're doing if you're just going out with group, big groups of people. And two, people out on the streets may feel intimidated at the same time. Um, you know, we did some great work in, in, in Mumbai, India with uh, Walk the Walk community with my buddy Manny. But at the same time, we ran into a lot of problems and a lot of issues. Uh, when we were doing it because we had such a big group of people. We had about 12 hairdressers with us and it was difficult. We couldn't just go into neighborhoods that I would normally go to by myself because, you know, people say it'll just be much more dangerous because nobody's going to accept us that way. Um, luckily, um, our stars aligned and we were able to to um, use this construction site that was secured. Um, and uh, it was a secured construction site where we let people in periodically to get their haircuts with us and to keep us out of danger. But how often does can something like that happen? You know, that was kind of just like true luck or faith that we were able to do something like that. But otherwise we, they actually organized something like at, like at these, um, at like a children's school or a shelter or whatever it was. And we had the most terrible experience helping them. So we ended up cutting off day two and just went out and did our own thing. Um, because, you know, we had such a large group of people and it just wasn't a, not nearly what we thought it would be. So, yeah, when I go out on, on my own, it's just just a lot more organic and easier and there's no planning. And I just go out and just do what feels right. But what about the technical side of, of the work? Um, like, What do you bring with you? Of course, you know, there's issues like sanitation. And so just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I just bring anything that does not need to be plugged in. Um, so there's no real styling tools, no blow dryers or anything of that sort. Um, cordless clippers, shears, um, is like a, a disinfecting lubricant um, spray for the clippers to spray and clean, disinfect and disinfect my clippers after each haircut, just like I would in the hair salon. All these little things, like any anything that you don't need to be that you don't need to plug in, so you can give someone a haircut right where they are. So there's no excuses, um, and I just try to make it as convenient as possible for people that I'm trying to help wherever I go. So again, you're you're in Nicaragua. So let's talk a little bit about why you're in Nicaragua. What brought you to Nicaragua, um, and and what are you hoping to accomplish while you're there? Um, so what brought me to Nicaragua it just happened so organically. And I don't. People are always like, "Oh, what's your plan? What are you going to do next year? What's your next big plan?" I'm like, I don't know. Um, so this kind of just happened. Uh, you know, it was a very good friend and client. Uh, a very good friend and client of mine named uh, Philip Lim, who's a famous fashion designer, as a lot of us may know, but his former executive assistant who used to book his appointments with me to get his haircut, um, which he gets his haircut every five days with me. So I became very friendly with his, his executive assistant. You know, after two years of her booking my appointments with her, she then just kind of just like just slipped in that her mother was a hairdresser from she's from St. Petersburg. Petersburg, Florida, and she also has um, a charity that she that she runs in Nicaragua, which assists women that are transitioning out of prostitution. And um, you know, in developing countries, uh, poverty promotes crime and prostitution and those things. And so it's funny. I was like, "How did she get into that?" And she was saying that she needed college credits in college. Um, so instead of just doing any type of community service, her mother just thought up some really cool ideas and, and they, they just fell into this uh, organization out of uh, Nicaragua um, funded by the 
Pronica. And, um, and yeah, so I, and I told her at the time, this was a couple of years ago. And I was like, I, I need to link up with your mom and make this happen sometime. And I just had an open window on my schedule um, just recently. And I contacted her and I was like, Hey, like, uh, I still want to go to Nicaragua and meet your mom. And she's like, all right, cool. And now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> now here, here being explain, um, cause this I think is, is a little different than what we've talked about so far. Um, you're not really dealing, as you said, you're not dealing with, with homelessness. You're dealing with people who are transitioning out of, to get to a better place in their lives. I believe you're at a, a beauty school. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different different ways that we can help out, and it doesn't have to just be with homeless. There's so many different organizations that do need help, and so yeah, this is a beauty school in here in Nicaragua that are helping women um, kind of transition out of the sex trade because it's the only way they're able to make money out here because there's just no other. They don't really have many other options, so. I came out here so I can just do some uh, kind of like advanced uh, courses for them um, and just do exactly what I do everywhere else I go. Um, yeah, it's been so fulfilling. And it just, again, it's it, this hair world is just such a universal thing, no matter where we are, especially for, for women, because in, in a lot of different countries, um, being in the beauty industry is a very acceptable trade for, for women all around the world. So, and I wouldn't consider it being like a gender role because not. I mean, I'm a straight man in this industry so it's totally not a gender role you know uh, i had people just make comments about that but it's it's really not i mean again like i'm just trying to promote uh other people making others happy and that's what i'm doing here so is, is this school um specifically you know for you know certain types of people who are you know again transitioning out of one thing or is it a, more of just a general cosmetology school uh, just trying to understand where you're at yeah, this is, so the, the main purpose of this school was is uh, opened up just so that it can help uh, women learn a trade to make a, a real living in the beauty world, and specifically for the women trying to transition out of um, you know selling their bodies, because um, obviously it's not a, a very safe thing to, to do, and um, and the beauty world is just a beautiful world, so why not? <laughs> no, it's it's amazing, and, and and as you already pointed out, I mean it's it you know this this trade this craft this career. Um, has been a stepping stone for women, you know, for uh, in this country close to two centuries, um, and um, again is is looked upon not only as acceptable but as looked at as empowering. So you had some help um, down there, you know, from some sponsors. I don't know if you want to give any shout outs. I I know you have you, you have some trouble in customs. Again, we follow everything on social media, and, I, <laughs> and so I saw you got some clippers down there, but I also saw, saw some other sponsors help you. So talk about that a little bit yeah so i i just um you know everything again just happened organically and i just simply reached out to people um who were willing to help and i reached out to wall the clipper company and um i just told them the amount of people that were that were um in the school they sent them out to my home and i was like wow that was pretty amazing and i and i've had i've been using those clippers all my life since i was 14 years old so it was just really cool to see a company that that um that helped me grow as, as an individual, um, just support what I do. And I read also reached out to a very good friend of mine named Nick Stenson, as a lot of us know who he is. And he's a, a creative director, head, big honcho guy over at Ulta beauty and matrix. And, um, so I just asked him, I was like, Hey Nick, like I, I, I'm, this is exactly what I'm doing. And if you can, reach out to your companies and spare anything, anything that you've been just collecting dust in your warehouse. Like these women will just be so grateful for anything they can receive. And without hesitation, um, he, he made it happen and sent it over. And, uh, yeah. So I was able to come over here to Nicaragua to the school, um, with some gifts to give, which is always a nice thing. Um, but I did run into some trouble at customs, which I, I expected. Um, at first I, I, I was wondering if I should just send them over via FedEx or via whatever um, shipping company. And I, I was advised that it probably won't make it. And I'll end up just wasting even more money doing it that way because it's not cheap to, to ship things over like that. So, um, you know, I just, there's, there was four people coming to this trip. There was Manny, Pam, myself, and Amanda. I just divided all of our, our donations between all of us and just shoved it all in our luggages and, and hope for the best. <laughs> and, um, and everybody made it through except for me, which is actually not a bad number, you know? So, so there was only, only actually eight clippers that were taken away from me. And, um, I did go back to the airport 
and all I really had to do was pay taxes. But I, I did go back to the airport with a local um, that could speak better Spanish than I could and made it happen. Good for you and, and good for those um, supporters of, of you. Uh, and interestingly, uh, Nick Stenson, a, a good buddy, will be on this podcast in two weeks. So I, I do a recording oh, awesome. recording with Nick in about a week and a half. So we'll have to talk a little bit about this. You know, you mentioned you know, you've been using wall clippers forever. You know, So you've got that loyalty. You reached out to wall. Something good happened. Talk a little bit about the importance of networking. Um, I think you're a power networker again. I think you've everybody seems to know you, but I, I also see you out there engaging with people really actively. And so uh, it feels like that has paid you back relative to this by opening up some doors, perhaps. Um, but also it sounds like it may have been something that helped you behind the chair. So just talk about networking generally and how important is it? Yeah, networking is a huge, huge thing. And before I made it to to this certain point where I was able to charge a good amount of money for a haircut, um, networking was everything to me, going to different events and and just being really, really active in, in not in only the hair industry, but in any industry. If there's like an art event, go to it. If there's this event, just go to it and meet people. And ultimately, you're just going to meet people that could somewhere down the line help you out in, in, in a way that you never would have uh, imagined. Um, and you don't think of it in a way that like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to use that. I'm going to take this brand and put it in my pocket and use it for later. It doesn't go that way. It just, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not one to ever ask for help, but, um, being that I do have this network, when you do need help, there are people that, that are willing to support. And I just realized that, and I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with, with con- I'm str- constantly struggling, struggling with, um, uh, asking people for help. But, um, but that's what networks are for. And kind of funny because like if, if I think of anything that I would probably need right now and I have someone that in that industry and it's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, as, as, uh, as hairstylists and hairdressers in the beauty industry, we're going to get people sitting in our chair from every walk of life. And we just need to make sure that like, you know, the energy that you give is the energy that you get. So, um, we can, we can indirectly pick and choose the type of client that sits in our chair just by the way, just by the way we are. And, um, you know, genuine connections will ultimately lead to, to, um, amazing things that could happen in the future. So, um, you know, as we move on in our lives and in our careers, just never burn bridges and, and just keep moving and just support one another and always just always, always root for one, one another. And I think that's just really important. Two things kind of strike me. I mean, you know, one is I, just, I need to say that, you know, I've been doing this for close to 40 years now and I've, I've never met a group of people more giving than hairdressers. So for anybody who, who maybe is shy or, or doesn't want to ask for help when you think you might need it or is worried to walk up to perhaps a stranger that is Mark Bustos or a stranger that is a Nick Stenson and, and maybe you hesitate to say anything, my advice is say something because people are so giving in this industry and so interested in helping one another. There's, there's really no reason not to, me- to network. Yeah, absolutely. And then the other thing that strikes me is, had you not had that little bit of energy between your client who worked at CNN, and as you said, you had no intentions whatsoever, but just the fact that you engaged with that person, that perhaps that you're the conversationalist that you are behind the chair, I don't, I don't know you know, how you are behind the chair, but I have a feeling you're really friendly and, and have a great relationship with your clients. That person changed your life, that CNN person. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'd have to agree. He really did. Um, I haven't seen him in quite some time, but he definitely he's kind of like a, kind of like an angel in disguise, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and it, it kind of, again, shows that power of talking, you know, just being present and communicating with people and, and being a real person with your clients. Um, so, Because you just never know when someone is going to unknowingly open a door for you. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and there's this, uh, uh, I know you're going to ask me a question about like, what I, what am I into? What am I reading or this and that? Uh-huh. And, yep. um, if I can get into it, I mean, uh, yep. I, I really finally got to meet, um, when Claybow, as we all may know, is, um, the co-founder and Dean of Paul Mitchell schools. And I just recently got to meet him at a, an event with, um, at the millennium experience in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, just not too, maybe two months ago. And, um, he was one of the keynote speakers as, as was I, and, um, it was kind of cool that when it, when I first approached him, I was like, Hey, when I'm Mark, I've been wanting to meet you forever. And he looks at me, he's like, you know, I'm a little upset right now because I wanted to introduce myself 
to you before you introduce yourself to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> this guy's awesome. But he he wrote this book called Be Nice or Else. And, and I'm currently reading it right now. And it just he says a couple of things in the book that just really, really stick with me. And, um, you know, there may be people in life that just you, you might not um, have anything in common with. But instead of just completely just like um, telling yourself that you don't really care for that person and moving on, then why not just like ask a couple questions until you do find something um, that you have common. So I think in the book, he talks about someone having like a stamp collection, but you don't care about their stamp collection. But then if you just further ask questions and say, well, where did you get your stamp collection? Oh, your grandfather. Where's your grandfather from? Is he originally from there? And ultimately, you're going to get to this point where you will have something in common and you can get along with this person and and just continue to build your network. So I thought that was really important that he said that. Wynn is a great guy. I, I claim to to know Wynn longer than anybody in the industry. Wynn and I first met in the, gosh, the early 1980s when, when we were both young guys in, in Salt Lake City, Utah running schools. And... Um, my my be nice story, which I I, I I have to share since you brought it up. Uh, but I was on a plane to London, and he had just sent me the book. It had just come out, and so I was reading it on the plane. And um, hard to believe, but there was a girl sitting next to me on the plane who 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 brought nothing to read. And this was kind of before smartphones and all that. And you know, this is kind of old school. You you had to have something with you. And I I'm reading. I'm, I'm getting close to the end of this book, and I, I could feel her reading over my shoulder because she just had nothing to do. <laughs> And, and I actually slowed down turning the pages because I could just, I could literally <laughs> feel her reading along. And I thought <laughs> I would just kind of look for a physical sign that was okay to turn the page. And I, I finished the book and I just kind of looked over at her, at her and she said, she's like, I love that. And so uh, as I told Wynn, I, 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 I ended up giving her the book and um, she, she gave me a hug. And you know, when you're on airplanes, typically people don't even talk. And so to get a hug, to get a hug from the person, um, you know, getting off an airplane. And I just always have this little thought in the back of my head that that book has somehow changed her life. So um, Wynn is a, a great guy, a great friend, and I, I'm so glad you met him. Yeah, yeah he's amazing. So I also, I, I want to go to a question I always ask. Um, I hope everybody will get that book. You can Google Wynn Claybaugh, um, be nice and easily find it. Um, also, uh, Masters Audio Club, um, you can Google Masters Audio Club, which is Wynn's somewhat like a podcast um, where he interviews folks and you can find the book there there as well. I always ask everybody the question, what's the best advice anybody's given you um, and why? Any any thoughts on that? Yeah. So um, I say this in a lot of my talks and whenever I'm on stage and it was, it was advice given to me by my friend, Philip Lim, and he's just played a, such a huge role in my life, both professionally and personally. And, um, you know, I, I do his hair so often, at, like every five days and every, <laughs> I've been doing his hair for years now. And just every single time I do his hair, it's just always this fun, awkward kind of moment when he tries to hand me money um, because, you know, he's a friend and I don't want to charge him and this and that. And, and he looked at me, he's like, Mark, you're either expensive or you're free, but never cheap. So I took that with me for the rest of my life. And I was just like, wow, that's that's exactly it. And that's how I've, I've just used a, that quote. And I've just been able to take it with me um, to help me become successful. And it, you know, it kind of points out, you know, the, the, the power of being, you know, quote unquote, expensive. Some people, you know, kind of have a visceral reaction to that word and, and feel that, oh, I, I can't be expensive. You know, I don't want to be expensive. And, and yet, you know, depending on how you look at that word, being that can actually change your life, um, you know, get what you deserve to be paid, right? And and make a better life for yourself and and your family and your community. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's just like an indie industry where anybody wants to be successful in whatever you do. You eventually have to work your way up. And, and in our case, in the hair industry, we we've eventually just have to be expensive. <laughs> I, I, I have to, I think I've said this to you before, but I, I just have, you, you mentioned Philip Lim and I'm, I'm just a fan of, of him in fashion. And he, he I'm like, so not cool. Um, and, and he is, and you are, and in my fantasy world, you know, I, I wear his clothes and, uh, but, in my, but in my real world, I, I can't pull it off. And so, um, I, I just am enamored with the fact that you not only know him, but you, I have seen you in some of his clothes and, and, and the fact that you pull it off, um, just makes you, you a, can, somewhat you of a, can, you can totally pull it off. Dude. No, no, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll just say in my jeans and my plaid shirts. 
shirts. But um, um, <laughs> but anyway, again, I, I'm just uh, it's kind of a, a fanboy thing for me. I also I, I, on a, on a personal level, um, I want to talk a little bit because you've had some big stuff happening in, in your life. You mentioned earlier when you went first went to the Philippines, and you mentioned your girlfriend. Um, we'll give a shout out to Lucille. Um, and and now together you two have Lola, your baby. Um, and so yeah, so talk because you know so, uh, the personal side of life, you know, has a huge connection to what anybody's able to do professionally. We need balance in our life so so that we can really be great. Um, but fatherhood and and all that, um, what has that meant to you personally, and and what kind of impact has it had on your professional life? Yeah, whenever um, whenever people ask me what it's like to be a father, I'm. I'm- I always just say I can't explain it. And you don't understand that unless you are a parent yourself. And um, yeah, it's just been amazing and beautiful. And, um, you know, professionally, it's really impacted me because um, just because whenever I make any decision in life right now, both professionally and personally, um, I make my decision based on the one question will this make my daughter proud? And, and that's just how I, I live my life now. <laughs> that's, that's really powerful. And, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll say, honestly, I, I'm not a fan of babies. Um, I, I prefer a puppy um, for many, <laughs> for many reasons. I, I, I happen to think they smell better, but that's me. Um, the, uh, but, and I, I think I have said this to you before. It's like, I, I make an exception. I haven't met your baby in person, um, but I, I see your baby. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to get on your private Instagram for, for Lola. Um, it's the cutest friggin' baby ever. <laughs> you guys should be uh, not only proud to be a parent, but pr- proud to have the cutest baby ever. I've got to say that. Oh, thank you. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I know she's my daughter and I know everyone thinks their kids are the cutest, but my kid is the cutest. Right. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I look forward to, to seeing Lola at a, at a beauty event sometime soon. How old is she now? She is uh, seven months and a week. So I don't know how many weeks that is, but yeah. <laughs> She's growing up fast. She's growing up fast. Very fast. Yep. You are going to be recognized at Intercoiffure in New York, which is the first, I think it's the first Sunday um, in October. And you're going to get a, an award for your humanitarian work, which is Intercoiffure is one of the most important uh, hairdressing associations in the world. Um, uh, Frank Gambuz is the president of Intercoiffure North America, which is Canada and, and uh, America. Um, again, back to networking, you know, it's, it's a power networking group. And again, they're going to recognize you. You've been recognized by many others. Um, I, I remember when Mary Rector, you know, I, I believe gave a check to you to, you know, to help you do the work you're doing. How does it feel? I mean, how does it feel to be, to have that validation from the larger industry for the work that you're doing? Um, you know, I receive awards, um, I've received multiple awards and, um, you know, it's it's hard for me. It's really difficult for me. I'm trying to find. Um, I'm just really trying to find it not as difficult for me to accept an award. Um, I guess it just comes from um, um, from humility. But yeah, every time I get up on stage to accept an award, it's always been really difficult for me to do it. But I am very, very, very grateful, especially to be recognized by um, you know the biggest um, organization out there in, in in North America. It's it's been it's really 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 amazing <laughs> that that they're going to do this for me but um but yeah it's 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 just a difficult thing for me to do it and I, I guess i would just have to accept it and i have a lot of friends and family that just always tell me that like you know i just need to need to accept it and be happy and just just live with it <laughs> <laughs> well and I, I, it's it's great validation because again i i, I think that um the ripple effect, you know, it's the pebble in the pond, you know, and, and you're, you've become a big pebble. And, um, the, that ripple that goes out that is, is again, inspiring someone to get up and, and work with people who have less than they do. Um, and as you say, it's not only just homeless people. I mean, I, I know so many hairdressers, you know, who, who work in shelters for abused women who, who work in with organizations as you are this weekend, um, for people who are trying to get out of the sex traffic trade. Um, there's, there's just so many opportunities. And I think one of the reasons you're getting these awards and these accolades is that it's not just that work. Uh, I, I think I, I really believe 
that um, it's it's the bigger thing that you're accomplishing, which is inspiring the industry um, to do good work. And so for that, you deserve every award that you get. You're, you're certainly a humble guy, but I'll, I'll, I would say, you know, take them with pride and, and of course, stay humble. Um, and and I would encourage you to bring Lola um, to Intercoiffure. I want to meet Lola. So I hope she gets to come in October. Oh, that would be, if she's allowed to come, she will be there. I, I will pull some strings. Um, <laughs> I will personally pull some strings. <laughs> I'm making a note to get Lola a pass awesome. to Intercoiffure uh, for you and, and Lucille. That would, be, and that would be amazing. <laughs> That'll be very, very cool. Um, you are certainly present online. I know people are going to want to reach out and, and, and connect with you to follow you. Um, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me on Instagram under my name at Mark Bustos, M-A-R-K. B-U-S-T-O-S. And that makes it nice and simple. You've got one platform that you focus on. You do a great job. And and again, I, I encourage people to not just follow you, but take a look at Mark's page. Scroll down and see some of the, some, the great work that he's done and see some of the places he's visited. And I think most importantly, look at the smiling faces. That's what I really love about your Instagram feed is that we get to see not only what you're doing, but but those smiles and and they just you know they tell the whole story. It's just it's just amazing. Exactly. And with that being said, I mean you're going to read a lot of stories on my page, and a lot of people may just feel really bad for these these kids and people that I'm helping out on the streets. But just realize that some of these kids that I'm meeting in around the world in developing countries are the happiest people I've ever met. Um, some of the some people that I've met with all of this money are just not happy and. Um, I don't know who quoted this, but uh, um, uh, how's it go? Some people are so poor that all they have is money. And uh, we just need to realize that uh, happiness um, isn't isn't uh, measured by the number of like the number of your dollar. Um, so, yeah, some of these some of the happiest people I've met are out on the streets, living out in the streets without parents and cemeteries and taking care of each other. I mean, these are like five, six, seven year old kids that don't have parents taking care of each other. And they are the happiest people I've ever met. So just keep that in mind. And um, I don't want to say question your own happiness, but just put life into perspective a little bit. And that's a that's a powerful place for us to, to, to wrap up. So so let me say to you, you know, uh, Mark Bustos, um, thank you so much for being here. You're, you're such a passionate professional. You're such a, a talented stylist and educator and artist. Um, and I, I know you you're also a great family man. Um, and and most importantly, perhaps uh, the humanitarian work that you are doing around the world is literally changing people's lives and, and again hashtag be awesome to somebody uh mark bustos thanks for being on the american salon stories podcast thank you so much for having me and we'll be back next week with another american salon stories podcast in the meantime we hope you'll follow american salon on instagram where we're known as american underscore salon on facebook at facebook.com forward slash american salon that's all one word and of course on american salon where you can also subscribe to the Daily Beauty Fix e-newsletter. This is American Salon guest contributor and harebrained CEO, Gordon Miller, and I can't wait to bring you another American Salon Stories podcast next week. 